Amen. Amen. Well, guys, tonight we are going to be in the book of Proverbs. We invite you to be there with us as we pick it up in the middle of chapter 23, which is where we were last week and ended it off there. You can open up a Bible or you can use one of the Bible reading bookmarks, book, book, booklets that we pass out each week. And so inviting you into it. Now, it's a little bit different right here in this space, and I want to take a quick moment to point it out. Up to this point in the book of Proverbs, we've pretty much done a booklet for every chapter uh, in this space. But we're in a unique section of the book of Proverbs that has really 30 different uh, kind of admonitions put there, and just the way it was arranged in, our, in, in the Bible, it kind of jumped in the middle of a chapter and ends in the middle of a chapter. And so last week we put the first half of it, this week we have the second half. We're going to do our best to cover this. I can't promise we're going to make it. We're going to try, we're going to see, but if we don't make it, we'll finish it up next week, but uh, we'll see where that goes. But if you have that booklet, you'll, have, you'll be able to join us right where we left off last week. Now, if you're joining us online, as we say each week, we want to make sure that you know that you can do that as well. You can go to our website, uh, go under the messages, and under today's message, click download. It'll have a thing that says notes. Download that. It'll be a PDF that will be this booklet that you can print out or just use there on an electronic device. One way or another, hoping that you'd be there with us, that tonight God would meet you in his word. He would cause that to work good in your life and, and draw you into that. So want to just take a moment right now, let's ask him for that. Let's just go before him in prayer, asking that he would give us hearts to receive those things which he has for us, that he would meet you in that and, and give us understanding in the things that are before us. Father, right now we come and we are grateful just for this space, grateful that you're a God who both knows us and is at work in our lives. I know that. I know that you're a God who sees all of us. Got to think about those who are very specifically your children, and I hold your promises that you who have started that work, you're continuing that work in us tonight. Help us to hear it tonight. Help us to understand that which you would have for us. Help us to grab the passages, understand what's laid out to us, but in the midst of it, Lord, would you just very specifically work in a way that we totally hear from you and that you would cause us right now to be able to respond to that in a way of just hearing your voice and following the things that you have for us. We ask for that together, and we ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, God calls us to his word, and he calls us to know his word. One of the things I love is what that would do in you. In the book of Deuteronomy, it tells us, therefore be careful to observe them. That is to observe the things that God has told us. For he says, this is your wisdom. And understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, surely this is a great nation, is a wise and understanding people. God says, I'm going to give you my word. I'm going to give you my word. And if you would just do what I'm telling you, if you would pay attention to the wisdom that I'm getting you, the world would look on and go, wow, you're kind of smart. You know, you're, you sure are a wise, you know, kind of person. And you'll be like, oh, actually, I'm not. You know, it's just, I just, you know, he, he told me what to do. And, and, and he says, but they'll look at us. as the world will look at us and say, man, you guys are a wise and understanding people. But it will be, in a sense, just because you're heeding the things that God is telling us, that you're paying attention to his word and his wisdom. In fact, in Psalm 119, it says that through his commandments, we are made wiser than, than our enemies, for they are ever with us, that God's word is ever with us. That's probably a good perspective to kind of dive into where we are this evening. 
Again, we're in an interesting section of the book of Proverbs. We talked about it more last week, so I won't spend a bunch of time on it, but I did put a little uh, just kind of co- just explanation there in your booklet that just lets us know that we're in a section that runs from 2217 to 2422 that has 30 wise sayings. And, and students of the scriptures and, and students of the, of the Hebrew part of it, let us know that there is a real interesting pattern here because it seems to be built on kind of a, a pattern of some, some Egyptian wisdom that had 30 wise sayings as well. There's a number of them that are similar, although different in, in that sense. There's not anything re- repeated from that, but there is a sense that, you know, what we have here in this place is that. Now, we don't know exactly why it's there, and so anything in that kind of expectation would be conjecture. That said, I'm going to give you my conjecture that I gave you last week, in my sense, I have a sense that God was working through Solomon, and it's as if he said, okay, you want 30 wise sayings. I'll give you 30 wise sayings. You know, if you think they have, you know, wisdom, let me show you what real wisdom is. And so speaking in that vernacular, it says, okay, you want, you know, because it seemed to be in the Egyptian wisdom, they had these 30, you know, pieces of wisdom, and so God now gives us his. And I like this, that in that sense, again, he would tell us if we have this, it would be wiser. God's wisdom is wiser than our enemies, as it said there in the book of Psalms. And so certainly that is what we need. Well, that's where we are this evening. And so without any more further explanation, we join right in the middle. We made it through 15 of the 30 sayings last week, and we'll see if we make the other 15 this evening. But one way or another, we want to just kind of gaze at these as nuggets of wisdom, some of which, most of which are found other places in the book of Proverbs. That's it, they come across to us here in a way that would help us grab the things that are there. So we'll just kind of not, just continue our numbering. Again, we're joining right in the middle of chapter 23, picking it up in verse 22, and we get number 16 of the 30 pieces of wisdom. It really reads it to us this way. It runs all the way down to, to verse 25 there, where it says, listen to your father who begot you, and do not despise your mother when she is old. Buy the truth and do not sell it. Also wisdom and instruction and understanding. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice, and he who begets a wise child will delight in him. Let your father and your mother be glad, and let her who bore you rejoice." So we get a pretty interesting little saying in here as he gives it to us, gets the things that are there. I'll kind of screen up, pull the screen a little closer so you can see it. In the midst of this, it's almost an explanation of the fifth commandment, honor your, and father, honor your father and mother, to, to be that into a space that what that would look like out of our lives, and yet to do so very specifically in responding to the wisdom that would flow there. But he just tells us, hey, listen to your father who begot you, and, and do not despise your mother. Like he says, okay, I want you to listen. I want you to be one that that heeds what that is, and then he kind of puts even parameters, you know, kind of the one who begot you, and even when she's old, and so we kind of just think, okay, that's from like, you know, early days when you were, you know, a young child to the place where, you know, you're, that, that you, that's, you know, much farther along in life, and so he says that doesn't move that place of the fifth commandment of honoring your father and mother. He says, I want you to listen to them. I want you to bring them honor. In the midst of it, he just tosses in an interesting nugget that almost seems unrelated. It's not, because of course God's word is not that, but he's calling this person, to, calling us to live in wisdom, and he says, well, buy the truth and do not sell it. Also wisdom and instruction and understanding. It's this place where it's appealing to us to, to be those who are growing in wisdom and growing in understanding and doing whatever we can 
to get a hold of those things which God has for us. And yet in the midst of that, that's this place of honoring your parents, that that's a place of saying, you know, it's not like I'm just listening, you know, to one source, but out of that to really grow in wisdom is that place of speaking honor. He says, if you do that, he says, then the father of the righteous, because you're doing what God says, you're walking in that wisdom, instruction, and understanding. He says, that father of the righteous, the one who does that, will greatly rejoice. Who begets a wise child will delight in him. I mean, just a pretty simple you know, straight, that makes, yeah, like, you know, you have a child that does, wow, and, 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 and just causes that to be there. He says that that would bring joy. That would bring your, your father and your mother be glad and let her who bore you rejoice. You know, this is an exhortation that's given to children. It's, it's an exhortation that's given to us in that sense, reflecting and saying, hey, you be that kind of child. You be the one that would bring that space of, of, of just pleasure and pleasing. And yet I also speak to some of you as parents, and, and I just echo what you know, that in one sense, as we think about what this is, for most of us, we'd be like, there's not a bigger gift you could give me. There's nothing I want more than this than to see my kids do really, really well. Yeah, if I could see them walking in wisdom and, and, and continuing a course where they're growing in God's ways, it would be like, Psh, this is wonderful. That's amazing. That's, that's all that I need. That's all that, that would be a part of this. And so inviting us just to say, yeah, be that kind of person because that's what it really needs. That's the place that we, we'd really want to be a part of and, and longing that it would be so. Good piece of wisdom, longing. And again, it's found there in that whole page from verse 22 down to verse 25. All right, flip over and we get the next one. Picking it up in verse uh, 26, we get number 17 of the 30, and he gives it to us this way. My son, give me your heart, and let your eyes observe my ways. For a harlot is a deep pit, and a seductress is a narrow well. She also lies in wait for a victim and increases the unfaithful among men. This one is aimed at the peril of adultery the peril of being caught up in someone who is this harlotry, this place of being a, you know, caught by a seductress. And this is, again, kind of interesting because if the previous one was an echo of the fifth commandment, this one's an echo of the seventh. You know, that you know, God tells us, you know, just the, of, the, of the sin of adultery and, and the place where he just tells us, no, like that's not what I have for you. And yet it just lets us know as we think about this, this is written to us in a way where he's inviting that you would believe this. He says, I want you to make sure you're paying attention to me. I want you to make sure that you're really, really listening because this is really, really dangerous. Like this would be something that would destroy you. And, and that's a good piece of wisdom. That's a good piece of wisdom and longing that it would be there. I also like that this one, this father to a son in many ways, almost kind of exhortation says, don't just hear what I say, do what I do. Look at what I say and follow the example that I give. And I just give that as a quick little place. Oh, that it were so. You know, oh, that it would be so for you, that you would both heed this this evening. Maybe this is an exhortation to you. Maybe God's warning you about the peril of adultery, and it needs to be heard in your life. Or maybe you're wanting to pass this on uh, to, your, to your, your family, and wanting like, yeah, that's what I want them to see. Then make it what you say, and make it what you do. Make it where you can say, watch me. Watch how I avoid this. Watch how I stay away from these traps. 
watch how I navigate my life in a way that that doesn't put, do that because it's destructive. It says, you know, she, this idea of a heart, you know, lies in wait for a victim, like it's just longing to, to get there there and increases the unfaithful among men. Please understand, God's not, you know, placing the blame of adultery on this. That's not the perspective at all. It's just a warning. It's just a warning to you to look at it as if it's a pit. It, it's as if you're, you know, taking a walk in the mountains and they tell you, like, be careful. There's deep holes. You know, you step into this thing and, and it'll be a narrow thing. And it's, it, we're not talking like a little gradual thing. You'll just, you'll go plummeting down. It'll be that that will be, just increase and destroy. And it's a warning. It's a warning to look on adultery and say, that's what it is. That's what it is. That's what it does. And again, I, I say that in a way that maybe it needs to be heard this evening. If it's a rescue from you, for you, let it be rescue. If, if this has been your past, I can tell you God can forgive this, and he does. But let it be clear. It's not meant to be anything that's played with. I hope you have an answer for that. I hope if, if I were to sit down and ask you right now, so what are you doing that's keeping you away from it? What are some things that you do in your life that both you exhort and, and you say, hey, these are things I don't do. These are things I don't do, you know, and, and, and just how you handle relationships, how you walk in those times. We could talk more about that, but it's enough wisdom that's given to us from the text that would simply say, hey, do this. Recognize this is a dangerous uh, thing that would be in the midst of it. Don't fall. Don't be one that caught, so it gets caught up in this. It destroys lives. Sadly, it does. Well, we move past that one, and we actually get to the longest one in these 30 sayings. Actually, one of the longest sections that deal with a single issue uh, in, in the book of Proverbs, and it flows all the way from verse 29 down to verse 35. It's the 18th of the 30, and it deals very clearly uh, with alcohol. In fact, you might just notice it there in verse 30. Those who linger long at, at the wine, those who go in search of mixed wine. Tell you what, let's read the whole thing. And then we'll talk about it. Verse 29. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaints? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of the eyes? Those who linger long at the wine. Those who go in search of mixed wine. Do not look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup and it swirls around smoothly. At the last, it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things. Your heart will utter perverse things. Yes, you will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea or like one who lies at the top of the mast saying, they have struck me, but I was not hurt. They have beaten me, but I did not feel it. And when shall I awake that I may seek another drink? So he's giving us this warning. He's giving us this biblical warning about the dangers of wine, of alcohol. And I thought we'd just talk about it just for a quick moment. I mean, and I even think about it this way. It might just help to put even some stats to this and think through it, how it works. You know, those who run these kinds of things look at alcoholism in the United States and tell us that, you know, roughly about half of all Americans uh, say that alcohol is a normal space and, and, and a part of their lives. Now, we would come at this, and I would just say it very differently in this room. It's probably even different around this room. The Bible does not forbid alcohol. It doesn't tell us, you know, hey, you could never, you know, have a drink. It does forbid drunkenness. And so that's very, very clear. We'll talk a little bit more about that, but it doesn't forbid that. So here's how it works in this room. We're in different spaces. I just wanted to let you know that I know that. For some of you, 
This is not even a temptation. It's not been a part of your life, hasn't been there for a long time. I mean, I'm just going to be honest. It was a part of my early uh, upbringing. You know, alcohol was a part of there, but then God got a hold of my life, and I don't, I don't think I've drank since 30, 38 years ago. And, and so for me, it's not really a big deal. It's not, it doesn't, you know, it's like, it's like, well, I don't, you know, it doesn't, it's not a part of my life. It's not a part of anything that's there. But it's not saying that that can't be a space in your life that alcohol is there, but because it is so real, even maybe in this room right now, here's the deal. We're talking to some that this is borderline dangerous, uh, that this, this passage is, is warning us because we think about half of Americans that say they drink alcohol, but then we think about how destructive it becomes. Again, statistics tell us that 23%, you know, have uh, habits of binge drinking, that, that they don't, you know, it's not just casual, they just, they, they can explosively go into that. You know, six, over 6% say they're heavy drinkers, that they drink, you know, more than two drinks a day. 17 million say that they, you know, consider themselves alcoholics, which is probably low. That's the ones who actually, you know, admit it, like, yeah, I actually have a problem. Like, I actually have a, a problem with it, which is about 6% of the population. We think about how, how, how dangerous that is. That moves to around 88, 80 to, to 90,000 people die every year uh, from alcohol and, and alcohol abuse. It destroys, you know, college students. In fact, he thinks about even people from 20 to 64 years old, out, one out of every 10 will die from alcohol, alcohol-related or alcohol things. One out of every 10 people that range from 20 to 64 are there. That puts alcoholism number three. Number three in, in the leading lifestyles related to the cause of death in our nation. That it just does incredibly destructive things. Now, that's just big all the way across our nation, but it's worth even just saying it. It's statistically worse here in, in New Mexico. New Mexico is the leading state uh, for alcoholism, alcohol-related deaths in our nation. Uh, 73 point out of every 100,000 do that. That means between 20 and 64, it's one in five uh, in New Mexico, number of deaths. One in five deaths will be related somehow to alcohol and its dangers and it's destructive in the midst of that. Again, just doing stats that are a couple years old, but back in 2019, 1,587 deaths due to alcohol doing the, in the midst of this. And if you put that in context, that means the average of four people die every day in New Mexico from alcohol, from, from alcohol-related things, alcohol-destructive you know, tendencies in the midst of that, and that just causes us to recognize in one sense we're, we're dealing with something that is really, I mean, we look at how inherently bad it is in our world and, and how seriously that needs to, to come at that, and so when God speaks this here, it's, it's speaking of a warning. Now, again, i just recognizing again, it's different around this room. For some of you, it's not even close, and you're just going to get this, and you're going to be like, man, I wish I could give this to somebody else. Some of you right now, you might be struggling, and I just want to say that graciously, kindly, you know, if this is an issue in your life, if you're one of the stats that maybe, you know, has this at pull in your life and that, and that you're struggling in the midst of this, then this proverb is for you. It's, it's a warning. It's a poetic warning. It's beautiful. It is so well articulated in just the way that he, he does it here in this proverb that has so much more depth than we have time to go into this evening. But it's enough just to kind of just speak to you and kind of just shout to you and say, hey, this is dangerous. This is a dangerous lifestyle. It's a dangerous place to get there. In fact, I like even the way that he just describes it at the beginning. He looks at this and says, so who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaints? Who has wounds without cause? Maybe, again, you know exactly what this is speaking of. Maybe from your life, maybe somebody there, and you would say, that's exactly what it does. 
you know, alcohol and it, what it does in their lives. It, it, it brings sorrow. It brings woe. It, it creates contentions. It creates problems in relationships, complaints, wounds, you know, without cause. I mean, just physical damage in the midst of it. And you would just look at this. And I find myself thinking, if you could only stop right there and say, so why would you want to go there? Like, why would you, I mean, you know, this is like, hey, you know, do this and you can have this, you know. You too can have, you know, wounds, you know, without cause and complaints and contentions and sorrows and woe. Like, this is a great idea for your life. It's a terrible idea for your life. It is not a good solution. It is not a good rescue uh, into life. And so, in some senses, just being able to label that all by itself can be good. And again, if that needs to happen for you right now, that you are not, you know, kind of, well, you know, it's not do you, would you look at it and say that it is that? That's exactly what it does. That's exactly, I, I see it destroy. I see what it does. I see where this is going. And, and because of this, he says, you know, don't be one of those who linger long at the wine, who go in search of mixed wine, that you become someone that is pursuing and, and, and longing and just being drawn after the appeal of alcohol and, and all that it does. In fact, he puts it to us on the next page, again, very poetically, very well said. He says, do not look at the wine. When it is red, when it sparkles in the cup and it swirls around smoothly, don't do it. Don't be drawn into it. It's a lie. It, it's, it's this deceptive kind of thing that would say, hey, this, is, this looks good. This sounds good. This seems like it would be beautiful. But then he says, it will not. It says, at last, it bites like a serpent and it stings like a viper. It, it will be that, that you know, you, you think it looks good. It's, it's going to be like a snake and it's going to bite you. And it's got poison to it. And it will destroy it will destroy lives, it will destroy marriages, it will destroy families, it will take lives, it'll do such an, in, in just horrible things. And if all of that wasn't enough, just even the folly that it brings it, it is crazy. Think about just the way that he describes it again, it's just well said poetically. He says, I'm oh, sorry, let me go back, I went too far there. Yeah, well, um, yeah, sorry. Uh, let's go back to there. It says, your eyes, in verse 33, will see strange things, and your heart will utter perverse things. Again, for some of you, you have no idea what this is. Uh, you know, again, I have enough experience with it 38 years ago. I can tell you that's exactly what happens. Like, you, you know, all of a sudden, you know, you just, you're thinking things, you see things, you speak things, that stuff you would never have said otherwise, you will say. Uh, and dumb things, horrible things. It says, your heart will just, all of a sudden, you know, you know, you'll just begin saying things you would never have, have done any other way. You'll see things. It'll do horrible spaces in, in the midst of this. He says, as he goes on, he says, you know, you will be like, uh, you know, one who lies down in the midst of the sea, like one who lies at, or top of the midst of the mass saying, they have struck me, but I was not hurt. They have beaten me, but I did not feel it. When I shall awake, then I, when shall I awake that I may seek another drink? So he puts it in this picture that, again, if you have more time, you, or if you're, this really needs to be a warning for you, you just need to see it. He says it's almost as if you're, you know, you're caught in this, you know, wave of, of, of life, of alcohol, of drunk, not drunk, sober, not drunk, and, and, and it becomes this place that you're moving, like one is in the, in the midst of the sea, and then you're not just in the sea, you're at the very top of the mast, which, if you know anything about sailing, that's the place where you feel it the most. 
I mean, that's the place where, you know, any movement of, of the sea, you're like at the very top, you know, and, and yet it doesn't picture somebody who's alert up top. It doesn't picture somebody who's, you know, doing what they're supposed to do at the mast. This one, <laughs> no, no, he's, he's just, you know, he's, he's lying down at the top of the mast, and then he's like, you know, they hit me. Like, I just got smacked. I mean, something just out of the blue, you know, smacked me and, and struck me, but I'm fine, you know, and again, that's not actually true. You know, for many people in the midst of drunkenness, it becomes, you know, places of injury. They beat me, but I'm fine, didn't feel it, and yet the, the folly of it is, you know, the, as soon as they get up, they're like, let's do that again. Like, let, 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 that, that was great, you know. I mean, like, I, you know, that was such, you know, a good thing. When can I get drunk again? It's like, do you not understand what you just went through? I mean, do you not see woe, sorrow, contention? Did you not just get, you know, you know just your life was turmoil. You said things you shouldn't have said. I mean, what, what's so drawing about this? And yet it is, in that sense, enticing. It is addictions that, that move in the midst of that. But it's enough for you just to hear it and hear you know, God just kind of giving it in a very gentle but poetic way of saying, this is not a way I'd have you to live. This is not what I would want for you. This is not the plan that I have for you. This is not the course that you should be walking. And if that's what you're needing to hear this evening, if this would be a rescue for you, I speak it. I think about what Paul would tell us in Corinthians. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not to be deceived. And then he goes and gives us a list of those who he's talking about. You know, not adulterers, which is what we just talked about in the one before this one, nor drunkards will inherit the kingdom of God. It says if that's you living that as your lifestyle, you know, that you're kind of caught in that, that that's, that's not consistent with a Christian life. That's not consistent with who you are. It doesn't give evidence of, of, of the person that you are. And it's enough altogether there again to give, like, that's not what you should do. But let me just again speak it in hope, because the verse doesn't end there. He says, in such were some of you. But you are washed, and you are sanctified, and you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. He says that's what some of you were. And again, for some of you, you could give testimony to this. So again, I shared just briefly for me, it was a part of my early upbringing, part of where I was, but I can honestly say, boy, I'm so glad he rescued me from that 38 years ago. It's not a place that continued in my life that could have turned into destruction. Some of you have this in your space, and even now, just reading this makes you feel guilty, even though it's been, you know, a long time. It's good to feel, you know, the weight of, hey, I can't ever get caught back into that again. But at the same point, let me just speak. If this is you and you're no longer there, then you've been sanctified. You are justified. That's what Jesus does. He fixes broken people. He can do what others can't do. He can take the, the, the damaged and the destruction that sin brings into the world, and he can bring forgiveness and restoration. I love that. You know, we just need to hear that, again, because we're gazing at this, and again, I don't know where it lands, but I do know this, that our God can rescue. I do know this, that it's needing to, to be rescued, and I do know that God can do that, and so if he's drawing you even this evening, maybe you're outside of Christ, and you say, well, I, you know, if I'm living that lifestyle, that would kind of, you know, at least point to that way, then, then be drawn to Christ. If you're struggling in the midst of it, again, just hear what he can do, and we just invite you to that as a place of just seeing this in a way that God would say, this is not good. <laughs> this is not a life that you would want to be marked by. Why would you want the woe, sorrows, contentions, complaints, and wounds without cause? May God rescue. All right, well, that's enough on that one. Again, it's a long one, but worthy of us seeing that. So you can flip the page, and as you do so, you turn with us to chapter 24, but we're continuing into a place that we're, we're kind of following along these ones. And so in verse 1, we have number 19 
out of the 30. Do not be envious of evil men, nor desire to be with them, for their heart devises violence, and their lips talk of troublemaking. He just puts out there and says, hey, don't make this, the, the people who are walking in evil, who are doing that which is wrong, don't be envious with them, don't long for them, don't long for their company, don't long for what they have. He says, because what they do is producing violence, what they do is filled with trouble, and in many ways, he just invites you to say, that's not the people that you want to be influenced in your life. I love the way Psalm 1 speaks the same reality, where it says, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. It's like, don't choose that. You know, why would you, you know, allow those who are, you know, ungodly sinners and scornful to be the ones that are speaking into your life? Like, why would you be like, oh, yeah, they, they, listening to that? It's like, don't do that. Don't put your envy there. Don't, don't mimic that. Don't, don't desire uh, what they have. Look at that and think, that's not what I want. Those are not the influences that I long to speak into my life. And again, all by itself would become rescuing, where we just say, no, that's not the ones I want to have there. I, I, I want something different. So he gives it to us from there, and we move into verses 3 and 4. We get number 20 of the 30 that moves to kind of a positive way of saying some of that. Through wisdom, a house is built, and by understanding, it is established. By knowledge, the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. He says, if you had wisdom, if you'd walk in wisdom, which is what God is offering, that's what his word is, that's what the book of Proverbs is to you. He says, I would give you wisdom, wisdom in living the thing that God has for you. He says, that's how a house can be built. That's how you can establish your life, you can be built, it can be established, you know, the, the rooms can be filled with all pre precious and pleasant riches. And he just looks at a very different way. It's like if you would choose this. So kind of a contrast to what we saw in the previous one, which is don't let the ungodly be those that are, you know, guiding your life because it would go bad for you. Choose wisdom. Choose, God, I want to do it your way. I want to I do life the way that you would have me to do it. And that's the only way life can really be built. I think about Psalm 127, where it just simply says, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. You know, if you're trying to build a house, if you're trying to establish, you know, a life, it's empty without doing it according to his ways and with his help. It's the only way it can be done. It's the only way it can be found. And again, it's just an invitation. Now, again, this is good space just to remind you here. You're here on a Wednesday night. You're joining us as we're covering through the book of Proverbs. Probably you're in a space of saying, I want that. Good. But it's also dangerous that you could be here and be like, well, you know, I'm kind of listening, but I'm not actually, you know, this is the only way you're going to have it. You know, this is the only way you're going to have it is diving into his wisdom that he would bring you into the things that he has for you. May you be one who is building your life with wisdom. I find myself thinking of Jesus, you know, when he tells the, the story of, of those who would hear him. He says, you know, there are those who would hear him and do what he says. They're the ones that built their house and they built it on a rock. And, and that stands all the tests of life. He says, there are others who hear him but they're not actually going to do it. You know, they heard what he said, but they don't have any intention of doing what he said. He says, that's like building your, your house on the sound. It's going to fall. You know, if you're not going to build his way, it's not going to go well for you. All right, flip the page. Number five. I'm sorry, number 21, verse five, uh, 21 of the 30. A wise man is strong, and yes, a man of knowledge increases strength. 
for wise, by wise counsel, you will wage, wage your own war. And in a multitude of counselors, there is safety. So wisdom, uh, not only would it establish you, not only would it be like a house that would you know, bring you into blessings, that wisdom can also make us strong. It can give us strong in the things that face us. He says, you know, here's this man of knowledge. He increases strength. By wise counsel, you'll be able to wage your own war. It's a good place of saying, I'll say what wisdom would do for you is it would bring you into a space of being able to, to see victory, to be able to see standing against the war that you face. And he just tosses in there. Part of that is by being open. And the multitude of counselors, there is safety, which has been one of the big you know, nuggets in the book of Proverbs, just calling us away from this independent, I don't need anybody. I don't need anybody speaking in my life. I can handle everything myself uh, kind of mentality that is prideful and arrogant. He says, no, you should be open. You should be open to counsel. You should be open to, to others speaking into your life. But ultimately, you, you'd be strong in his wisdom. It would do this for you. Life is, in many ways, a battle. That ought to be clear. We live in this world, and there is a battle that is true for every single one of us. That's true in a lot of spaces that it happens there, but primarily it happens spiritually. We think about what it tells us in the book of Ephesians, that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. He says, you're in a fight, and it's not a physical fight. You're not in a fight with people. It's not actually against, you know, Republicans or Democrats. It's not actually against Russia or any of the things. Your real battle is spiritual that's beyond all of this. It is ultimately waging war against you, and you are in that fight. But he tells us, hey, take up what God would give you. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand an evil day. And having done all to stand, he says, you take what I'm giving you. You take what I'm giving you in Christ, which goes on to picture the armor of all that we have in Christ and what would give us in the, in the midst of that. And he's just simply telling us, you can stand. Like, you don't have to you know, be defeated. You don't have to be, you know, kind of run over by a spiritual truck, as it were. You can stand against what Satan would do in the midst of that, and so that's exactly what it's reminding us here in Proverbs, that through wisdom we can find strength, and we'll be able to fight our own war. We'll be able to say, I can stand. I, I, I can stand against that which comes against me, and I can do that, you know, in the counsel, in the wisdom that God would give, and it's just powerful. Sometimes it's just hopeful to, to, to speak, to let us know that's being offered out to us here, that the, God's word would bring us into that space, a place where we can stand against those things which would come against us, and we can. All right. Well, that takes us down to verse 7, which is number 22 of the 30. Wisdom is too lofty for a fool. He does not open his mouth in the gate. It's this perspective now of the person who's not wise who looks at wisdom and just feels that it's too lofty, that it's too much, that it's too much above them. Uh, we might even just say it this way, you know, a fool uh, thinks wisdom is too lofty or too high for him. It's a weird space. It's a weird space, and it could actually even happen here tonight, where some people look on this and they think, well, you know, yeah, God's word sounds great. That probably works for some of you. Like, you guys are good people, and you can do that, but me, not me. It's just, you know, it's just, I, I'm not smart enough, you know. I'm not smart enough to understand God's ways. I don't really, I don't get it, you know. And, and it becomes a lie that keeps them from the wisdom that God is offering. God is offering us wisdom. He is offering us the ability to, 
you know, not find ourselves trapped. He's offering us wisdom that could make us, as he just said in the one, couple ones before this, where we could establish our lives like a house. We could wage warfare. What a foolish place it would be to be that person who, through a lie, looks at it and says, well, I can't, I'm, that doesn't work for me. Uh, the Bible doesn't really work for me. Knowledge, I, I, I can't really get it. You trap yourself outside of that. You trap yourself out of that. May it not be a lie that any of you believe, because Jesus told us that he would give us the Holy Spirit that would teach us. There's not anybody here in this room that you're like, well, I'm, I can't. I can't get biblical truth. I, it, it, you know, I tried reading the Bible. I can't get there. I, if you're in Christ, you can. If you're not in Christ, you have to begin there. Yes, it would make sense outside of that. But if you're in him, I just want to tell you, recognize this is a lie and don't fall prey to it. All right. Verse 8. We get number 23 of the 30. He who plots to do evil will be called a schemer, and the devising of foolishness is sin, and the scoffer is an abomination to men. So here he focuses on the one who is plotting, the, the one who's scheming, the one who's devising foolishness. And he just lets us know, like, that is, that's sin, that is destructive. You know, that would be one who would be in a schemer, an abomination. And it's this picture of understanding of how wrong this is. Think it through this way. All of us struggle. There's not anybody in this room that doesn't struggle with sin. But in a weird way, it should look like what Paul describes in Romans 7, where he says, you know, the the things I don't want to do, I end up doing. Uh, The things that I want to do, I don't do. You know, I'm trying to do good. I want to do what's right, and I fall short. I I, I miss that mark. I'm in the midst of that. And, And in that space, not at all, you know, okaying any of that, but that's a good space, the kind of thing where it's like, I don't want to do those things, and yet I, I fall short. I, I fail to live up to uh, the kind of person that I want to be. Now, that's true. That's true for me. That's true for you. There's not any of us here It's like, nope, I had a perfect week. I wasn't anything I did wrong. No, you, you probably did. But when it gets bad is when you do wrong intentionally. When you become someone who's not like, it's like, no, I'm trying to. <laughs> like, I am trying to. Like, I want to hurt people. I want to take advantage of them. I, I, I'm looking at them and thinking, how can I rip you off? I mean, how can I, how can I you know, take what is yours and, and make it mine? And, and it becomes this place of, of this person who's plotting to do evil and devising foolish. And he says, that is a scheming. It's an abomination. It's an abomination. And, and just an invitation to see it that way. Uh, again, just a place where we look at that and say, that's true. That is, that's a life that should not be lived. That's a place that we shouldn't go and where God would even want to rescue us. Again, there's not any of us here that go, well, I, you know, I don't ever do that. No, probably at places we do. It's like, hey, I was thinking, it's like, okay, be rescued. That's sin. That is, that is not the way God wants me to live. I, I am not meant to be one who is seeking that or seeking that from other people. May God rescue us from being a schemer. May he draw us to be wise. All right, we'll flip the page. Um, Verse 10, number 24 of the 30. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. So it's a statement of fact. It's just a statement. If you you fail in the the day of adversity, your strength is small. So what did he just tell us? What, what, What are we needing to take home from this lesson? Well, let me tell you what he's not saying. He's not saying that it's you know, uh, easier to handle life when it's, or, you know, that if you're, if you, you know, if you fail in the day of, of, 
of, of adversity, your strength is small, as if in some ways uh, days of not adversity, days of success are harder to live. I, I, that might sound weird, but you know, I've got to be honest. There were times that it's like, is that what that's saying? It's like, what did he just say? I'm trying to wrap my brain around what did he just say. It's actually not that complicated, helpful for me, helpful for you. What he's just saying is if you faint, and the idea, even the word faint has the idea of sinking, if you give up, if in that moment when life gets hard, you, 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 you find yourself sinking, he says, then, then that just shows you your strength is small. The crisis that you go through reveals the depth of your strength. And, and if in that day you find yourself, you know, when, when th- something is hard and you fail, it just needs to be this very little just gentle reminder. It's like, you're not as strong as you thought you were. You know, you know, you weren't ready for this. You, 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 didn't, you weren't ready for what happened. And so at that moment, it invites us to realize, I need to be stronger. I, I, need, I, need, to, I need to have a stronger walk with Christ. I need to have a deeper space so that when those, those places come, I'm able to walk through that. Or maybe saying it differently. I think about how Jesus would say it when he was talking to those around him. He just says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. He says, when, when, you, when your mouth just, when, when it comes out of you, just know where it came from. Now, if you know anything about the context, they had a way of blaming it on everything else. You know, is, you know either, you know, they'd, you know, touched something or had got spiritual cooties and, you know, just, you know, didn't get that. Or other times blaming it on other people. And that happens all the time. It probably happens in some of you. So let's just talk about it for a moment and do our very best to uncover the lie. Sometimes when we have a bad day, when we go through adversity, and we say something that we shouldn't have said, or we do something that we shouldn't have done, we can have a propensity to blame other people. It's your fault. Look what you made me do. You, you, you did that, you know, it wasn't, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a good person, you got, I mean, I'm doing well, and then you came along, and look what you did, you know, and, and, you know, I'm doing fine, I'm doing fine, and I, you know, there's nothing wrong with me, you know, it's your fault that, that I happened to lose my temper, it's your fault that I did that, and this just is, that's not true. If you can't handle those hard days, it's, it comes along as this little like, hey, hey, you're not doing as well as you think you are. You know, the only way to be ready to have to face those hard days is to grow in strength in the good days, to take those spaces when it's not a hard day and you're diving into God and you're diving into his word and you're saying, God, grow me, make me a better person, you know, root out these things in my heart so that when the, the adversity comes and I get squeezed, you know, what comes out won't be the ugly things that I don't, I don't want in there. Again, I, I find myself thinking about it. You know, some have said that, you know, kind of even as just using it, that adversity is like the squeezing of a sponge. You know, when you squeeze the sponge, whatever's inside comes out. And so what this is just telling us is to kind of note that. Now, again, this isn't condemnation. This is just clarification. Because if you're, again, you're not careful, you'll do exactly what I just said. You'll blame other people. It's my boss. It's his fault. You know, he just provokes me. That's what it is. Not me. I mean, it's not what I am. Uh, it's, it's, you know, the world or whatever it is. Instead of saying, no, I, it's me. I mean, I just, I, I, I handled this, and, and again, I'm trying to put this in words that will kind of connect with you, but I, I'm just talking about 
how it works in me. Sometimes I have this conversation with the Lord that I just recognize when it happens and I didn't, and I'm not sufficient for that day. I just recognize, Lord, I, I think I've gotten shallow. I mean, just my, my walk with you or whatever. I mean, there's just, there was no depth there. And then when I got pressed, there was nothing for me to lean back into. There was, you know, and it's like, okay, you know, and I know where, I know where the problem lies. And that just kind of recalls me back into this place of saying, okay, Lord, let's go deeper. And I just want to simply say, that's a real part of life. Now, for most of us, if we're all together honest, we will have those days. We will have those days and, and we will find out when we have a bad day, we failed. And this isn't a space of condemnation. It's just one of those places like, okay, I wasn't ready for that. Like I wasn't, you know. So when I get out of the valley, I need to, you know, use my non-valley space to grow. I, I need to have more strength so that when that comes, that my, my, my love for Jesus, my walk with Jesus, my, 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 my strength will be able to do that. And it becomes just a very helpful thing. Again, if it, you know, if this comes across wrongly, it'd be condemnation, but if it can do the, what I want it to do, and, and honestly, what it does in me, you know, because it happens, you know, like I, I have those days, I'm just like, okay, I didn't handle that well, it's like, okay, Lord, little wake-up call here, little, little, little wake-up call that I'm not obviously doing very well, because I could have handled this in a different way, and, and I know the problem isn't the, the situation, the problem's me, and, and so it just, it, it just is, fairly consistently throughout my, my, my life and years. It's just like, okay, that just a little, little ding, 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 ding. Go deeper, jump, because you need to be stronger, because you, you, you want to handle this well. And it's just a good proverb. It's a good one that just helps us to kind of just navigate that and recognize, hey, that's a good space for us to be able to walk in that. It's a good space for us to be able to look at this and say, hey, that's not where I want to go. All right, well, let's do one more, and that'll be kind of where we end this evening, and we'll have to pick up the other five next week because we'll look at number 25 uh, of the 30, and he just gives us a, a desire for our lives. It says, deliver those who are drawn towards death. Hold back those stumbling toward the slaughter. For if you say, surely we did not know this, does not he who weighs the heart consider it? He who keeps the soul, does he not know it? And will he not render to each man according to his deeds? So it's an admonition. He says, I want you to rescue. I want you to deliver other people when they're, when they're being drawn towards death and hold them back, they're stumbling towards the slaughter. This certainly has both spiritual and natural aspirations to it, that we ought to be those who rescue, that we look upon and say, you know, I'm looking. So yes, you're looking at those who are stumbling towards hell. <laughs> it's like, I want, to I want to be one that seeks to intervene into their lives. But then there's other times, honestly, we watch people who are self-destructive and, and, you know, doing all the things that even becoming suicidal or any of those things. He says, I want you to be somebody who sees that and seeks to be, to make a difference in that. In the midst of this admonition, which is a good admonition, maybe one that we would think we would understand, he says, but if you say, uh, surely we did not know this. Like, I didn't, I didn't know. <laughs> I, I, I didn't know in the midst of this that if you would look on this, he says, well, doesn't God who, who weighs the hearts consider it, wouldn't he actually know? The danger is that sometimes we can have these silly excuses that are just not going to stand before God. Uh, where places like it's not my fault, not really what I did, not what I'm, you know, it's, it's like really that, you know, God knows, he, he knows in the midst of this. I found myself thinking of when God confronts 
Cain, after obviously being uh, very involved, he kills Abel. And God, you know, what happened to him? Why is his blood, you know, where is he? And, and Cain's answer is, am I my brother's keeper? Like, is it really, is it on me, you know, to, to, to be worried about other people? Which, I mean, obviously, he killed them, so yes. But, um, but there is a question that sometimes rolls across some people's hearts. It's like, that's not my fault. You know, other people aren't my problem. I don't need to worry about other people. I'm not a, not a part of that. Where God says, yes, we are. We've been placed into this world, and, and we are given that ability, that calling to love people and, and to care about them. Think about how Jude would end his letter or just saying, and on some, save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. Like, you should be one who seeks to do that, that seeks to say, I want my life to be a, a part of that, where I want to be one that does that. And it's a simple admonition. Again, practically, spiritually. Hey, the greatest thing we can do is share the gospel. I mean, that which rescues people from, from hell and from death. And, and yet, what a weird space that some would live their lives thinking, that's not, it's not really my fault. You know, I'm kind of worried about me. All I, you know, I, don't have to, I don't have to be worried about anybody else. And it's like, really? God knows. God knows where your heart is, and, and, and he's going to deal justly in that. And yet it just calls us away from not being those who say, hey, yeah, I am my brother's keeper. I, I am one that, you know, I do have responsibility. You know, I do have the need to share the gospel, and I do have the need to do what I can. doesn't mean that I, you know, that they will always listen to me. They might still, you know, make their foolish choices. But I should be one that's doing all I can to rescue. May God make that so in us. May we be a people that speak that and live that. Well, there's more there, but I'll leave that with you. And again, we'll pick it up next week. And that's going to draw us to where we want to end this evening. And as we end... Uh, we come to a space that we think about how that happens. And one of the great things that God does in rescuing people is we think about what Jesus did for us. And so we're going to take some time to take communion. Now, if you know anything about our schedule, we normally do uh, communion on the last Wednesday night of the month. And just the way May kind of fell out with Mother's Day and everything like that, we kind of pushed everything back. And so it's June 1st. I know it's June 1st. I know that. But it just kind of landed better instead. So it's, it's right there where we want to enter into a space where we recognize the rescue that Jesus is. We recognize the, the way that that happens. We recognize that he's the one uh, that is that. And so I just want to quickly remind you how we're going to do this. We're going to take a few moments. Uh, I'm going to pray, and then the worship team is going to come up, and they're going to lead us in a couple of closing songs. And then we're going to invite you to come and take communion. We're going to put the communion elements up here, up front, and, and so we're just going to invite you sometime in those two songs uh, to come up and take communion. Yeah, you can take communion up here. You can take it back to your chairs. You can stand. You can kneel. Uh, wherever that is, whatever the space is, and yet the point of it is, again, to recognize Jesus, that we recognize he's the one. And when we celebrate the cross, we celebrate that he's the one that did come and, and rescue those who are stumbling towards hell. And if I can say it this way, that was you, that was me. H had Jesus not have come. If he wasn't that one that delivered, we would have stumbled all of the way, all the way into hell. And yet he came to rescue us. And so part of that is to come in and just recognize the wonder of that, the joy of our rescue. And yet, obviously, in the midst of it, to say, God, I want to be one that others know this. I, I long for the gospel to be communicated. And so wherever that would land for you as we do that, we just invite you to do that.
So again, wherever that is, you can take communion, take it to your, the cups back to your, your, your space if you want. When you're done, there's a little you know, square cubby, little holes there and the chairs in front of you. You can put your cups there and we'll take care of them later. But right now, we just want to invite you into this space where seeking to remember Jesus, seeking to step into this, we celebrate what he is for us. So let me lead us in prayer and we just invite you into this space.